Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we've got another edition of Fan is Short for Fanatic. And today I'm joined by Carlo. He is a mad Newcastle Knights fan and an even bigger Andrew Johns fan. This is the man behind the Bronze for Johns statue. So he's essentially been on social media the last three or four years. He's on Twitter, Instagram, everything advocating for Andrew Johns to have a statue put into Marathon Stadium, and he's really starting to get some momentum with it. I'll let him tell more about it in the podcast, but this is just an absolute champion bloke who's had an incredible life story outside of football. He's moved all over Australia, spent some time in Papua New Guinea, played some rugby league over there, incredible stories, and just a mad Newcastle Knight. And he's you know, he's part of the reason that I love rugby league. His passion is just unbelievable. I mean, he compares in this podcast the day Andrew Johns retires to... You know, he's not sure whether the day Joey retired was harder or the day he got divorced. He said, I genuinely can't, you know, pick the two apart. Just an incredible bloke with a fantastic story to tell. If you're not already, jump on Instagram and go and find his page. It's called Joey is Goat, at Joey is Goat. A sensational bloke with a great story to tell. Let's kick it off. Carlo, welcome on. How are we, mate? Not too bad. And yourself, Nathan? All going good, mate. Now, obviously, you're the man behind, <laughs> personally, one of my favorite Instagram and social media pages. What's the name of it? Um, so I, I run under the um, the username of Joey is Goat uh, on Twitter. And uh, sorry, Twitter is uh, currently under uh, under construction uh, and Instagram. And um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's where that's where I do a lot of my social media sort of posts. Now, obviously, mate, you've got a sole focus through your post. What's the end goal? Yep, we need to build a bronze statue of the greatest player that ever played the game of rugby league, Andrew uh, Gary Johns, so that we can get that out front of our uh, home stadium, uh, McDonald Jones Stadium. So, obviously, mate, you're on the fan is short for fanatic podcast. Obviously, you're a Newcastle Knights fanatic, yep. mate. How close are we to getting this statue up and running? 
So we, we've just had a bit of a development this week. Um, um, the, the, the government body that we've been dealing with, Venues New South Wales, is shortly no longer going to exist. They're going to merge with the SCG Trust. And the, um, the New South Wales State Minister for Sport, whose portfolio is responsible for our stadium, has said, look, there's going to be a community engagement um, process uh, under the trust for what they want to do with the stadium. And he's, he's urged me to put our ideas forward to them. He's, uh, he's confident that, uh, that we'll get a positive response. So um, we're about as close as we were six months ago, but we're still a lot closer than we were 12 months ago. And, mate, I believe there's a GoFundMe page for it. There is, there is. So if you if you look up uh, Andrew John's statue on uh, GoFundMe and Change.org, um, you can put your name uh, down to it, uh, or you can contribute to the page. And I sort of, um, the, I, I, I always try to make sure I say this. Recently, uh, given the COVID um, pandemic, uh, we're certainly not um, running. We, we want people to look after themselves financially. Uh, it's uh, it's really just there if people want to contribute and be a part of the statue. And, mate, I believe you've been endorsed by the Newcastle Knights themselves to have a crack at this year. Very much so. Very much so. That was a, that was a very exciting period in my life last year. Uh, I think it was on the 2nd of December when um, the uh, Newcastle Knights Twitter feed started tagging me in posts and I was losing my mind as they were saying, watch this space, good news happening. And, um, yeah, uh, our CEO, Phil Gardner, publicly backed the statue and he says the club uh, has its full endorsement. Mate, how exciting is that? It was it was amazing because until then I was just a guy with a Twitter account. <laughs> I was just a, I was just a pest, and um, you know, for all I knew, the uh, the Knights didn't even know that this was happening, or you know, for all I knew, they were sort of going, "We don't care how loud this guy is; we want nothing to do with it." And um, it really has been the support of the club that's um, kept us uh, sort of going this long. And you've obviously met the great man himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I had the he, – he's aware of the uh, the project um, when, I, when I attended the Legends of League um, in November last year. So um, uh, someone had made me up a T-shirt sort of saying, you know, let's support um, Bronze for Johns and uh, let's get Andrew Johns the statue that he deserves. And so I got – I managed to get film all of the Newcastle Knights old boys saying we support Bronze for Johns. And by the time <laughs> – it's funny, you know, Nathan, it doesn't matter how old you get. It, when there's something that you really love about, you're always a little boy about it. So I was like, you know, laughing and high-fiving Kurt Gidley and I was yelling at Daniel Abraham and I was, come on, Billy, you've got to do this and Robbie O. And the second I got to Joey, um, all I could think was, don't scare him off. And so <laughs> he, um, he, I, I sort of uh, I looked at him and I said, oh, Hi, Mr. Johns. Can I? Um, I'm pretty sure I said Mr. Johns. I said, Do you mind if we get a photo? And he just had this. I just remember having this big smile on his face. And he said, Yeah, mate, that's fine. And um, we had to do it really quickly. We sort of had to rush through it because they had a limited time for other people. They were doing autographs. Anyway, he's standing there with his uh, pointing at the at the t-shirt. And and as my um, my other half, Therese, was taking the photo, I, all I said to him was, I just said, Oh. I just want you to know that we're serious about this. Like, we're not being silly. We, we really want this to happen. And he just said, yeah, mate, you're fine. I said, I, he said, I really appreciate it. And um, I was like, right, don't don't say anything more before you uh, – so don't ruin it. And uh, I just said, come on, Therese, we're out of here. And it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life. He, I just loved how approachable he was and how cool he was about it. And, um, and yeah, those the, all of these little sort of planks that just fell into place that all just started to make me feel – you know, this could happen. This this might happen. This should happen, and uh, this will happen. 
Mate, I obviously live down in Sydney, and once you've got the statue up there in Newcastle, I think you might have to put one down in the Dog Hotel down at Charing Cross because Fucky does some damage down there in the TAB. <laughs> Mate, you can take the boy out of Cessnock. Uh, you know, Joey, I think one of the things I love about Joey, and to a certain extent, my experience has been with most of the people that I talk to who are so supportive of it, their their position is, is that um, – they love they love that that larrikin part of him. They love that he's still who he is um, today, the same as he was thirty years ago. It, J- Joey may be on the, you know on our TV screens every uh, every week, um, but at the end of the day, he loves a punt, he loves a beer, and um, he's still he's still one of us. That, that that's still to this day his greatest um, attribute. Mate, my- there's already a statue down here in Sydney, except for it gets on the. On the favourite at Chartin at midnight every Saturday, from what I've seen, he absolutely <laughs> loves it. Mate, take me back to your earliest memory. I mean, you ran me through your life before we jumped on the podcast here, and it's blown me away. Take me back to the very start. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm I'm um, Canberra born and and um, shortly raised. Um, I came to Newcastle at the end of 1985, um, and father has a soccer background and so he sort of had me playing soccer but I always remember um actually my, my father is um responsible for for two things two early memories my father was a big um Canterbury Bulldogs fan because he grew up in uh, Lakemba but he was also a Hawthorne Hawks fan as well so I actually remember the end like throughout the 80s at the end of the year, we just have a weekend where we'd watch the Eels and the Bulldogs in a grand final one day, and then we watch the Hawks the next day in a grand final um, in the VFL. So, um, I, you know, my my once we came to Newcastle, you, you sort of didn't have any choice but to follow rugby league. Like I, I, I went to um, Southwells End Public, and um, you know, as much as you'd sort of play your soccer where you where you were let, no, they'd make sure that you played your soccer to stay safe. But whenever we got an opportunity, you'd pick the ball up and start um, running and tackling each other, and that that was just that was just the way it was. Um, so my earliest, yeah, my earliest memories are really um, the Bulldogs Eels Grand Finals, and um, um, yeah, just having a having a great time at the end of September. Handy time to be a Canterbury fan, just quietly. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. My uh, my dad is nothing if not loyal until the Knights came along, of course. <laughs> Mate, we spoke earlier about, obviously, when you're a Bulldogs fan, uh, Terry Lamb was one of your favourites, one of the greatest footballers we've ever seen. What are your what are your memories of Terry? Just getting the job done. He, he, he just he, – I just remember – because one of the other things I said to you as well was uh, Benny Elias, and for some reason it was the small players on the park that – um, and maybe because I was, you know, seven years old and, and everyone else in the world just seemed giant. Those were the two players that seemed closer to me. And I just remembered watching them go, well, they, they can do this. You know, they can they can go out there and they can still make tackles and they can still pass the ball and they can still um, get things done. And I think one of the things I loved about Terry in particular was um, his longevity in the game. Like he just, I think he ended up playing something like 349 games. And so... For some reason, at a, at a young age, that sort of resonated with me. I think I think I loved. I think what I loved about it was the the there was a certain comfort that came with knowing, yeah, Terry's still there. Terry Terry's still playing, and I know that he'll be there next week, and I know that he'll be there the week after. And um, and uh, yeah, was, for some reason, as a young fellow, it was just something very comforting about watching him play. 
So, mate, obviously the Newcastle Knights, they joined the competition in 1988. Were you living at Newcastle at that point? Yeah, 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 we were. So my father is very switched on when it comes to being a part of something. I mean, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but I still remember, you know, we're celebrating now 20 years ago at the Sydney Olympics, and my father's reaction to that was, we, we can't miss this. We have to be a part of that. So... My, when the Newcastle Knights were um, won a license in the comp, his, his reaction was exactly the same. He said to my mother at the time, he said, look, this is going to be big. He said, he said this, this, this town loves their rugby league. Um, they've got their own town in, in the biggest comp in, in the country at the moment. He says, my son is, and he said, my son is not missing out on this. And, um, yeah, he made sure that we had tickets to every home game that year and he, uh, he dragged me along um, hell or high water. Now, mate, we'll come back to the Knights in a minute, but, you know, your childhood, you, you told me you went from Canberra to Sydney, you came up to Newcastle. Where was your next move? Um, so um, after Newcastle was uh, Papua New Guinea in 1989. Unbelievable. What, what, what's doing there? Right. So um, my father worked uh, – um, my father met my mother through the working together at the tax office in Canberra. And in 1985, when they sort of said, look, we're, we're going to set up an office in Newcastle. Do, do you guys have any interest in going up there? Like, oh, yeah, we'll try something new. Um, and so they helped set up the um, Newcastle branch of the uh, Australian tax office. And then after a few years of that, the, an opportunity came where the ATO were sending people out on uh, essentially a secondment up to Port Moresby um, to help with the Papua New Guinean government in respect of uh, how they could uh, manage taxation of uh, mining resources. And uh, my father was chosen as one of the people to go up there. And, uh, yeah, he took me and mum up there, and we lived up in uh, Port Moresby for five and a half years. They don't mind their footy up there? Oh, my it, it, the funny thing, because the funny thing is for me is that you've got to understand for the first maybe 15 years of my life, I lived in uh, two of the just the biggest rugby league uh, areas on the planet. And so... When I, by the time I was 16 years old, I was like, oh, yeah, rugby league is the biggest sport in the world because that's all I knew. So um, the, probably the biggest experience of rugby league in um, Port Moresby, and this involved my father. I was, I was still too young because my, my dad was genuinely worried about my safety. But my father befriended an Englishman who lived in the same compound as us. And one afternoon, dad was like, come on, the, the, the kangaroos are playing the kummels down at um, – down at, oh, I can't remember the name of the stadium. Anyway, he said, come on, let's, let's go along to that. And my father, my father loves being part of the crowd. He's, he, he doesn't, he sort of almost thumbs his nose at the corporate opportunity because he's like, well, where's the fun in that? I don't like wearing a tie. So my father and this, and this uh, Englishman went to the famous game where um, Mal Meninga, amongst many other Australians, were down on the ground with, um, the wet towels over their eyes from the smoke bombs because my father and his mate were the two white men in this sea of 10,000 Papua New Guineans <laughs> as they're sitting there drinking their tins of beer laughing at these Australian players who were cowering in fear. Um, and um, and it, it was it was like, um, it was like uh, royalty or it was like um, gods were visiting whenever – the Australian rugby league team was in town. Like the whole place almost stopped. It was just this, this mob mentality. You, you, you can't, um, you really can't describe it because it's something you have to experience about how truly fanatic they were about the game and the players involved. 
Hey, whenever you see that footage of the kangaroos on the bus going to the ground, it's just, you know, you only see a 10-second clip and there's people all over the bus. I imagine it's like that for the entire trip. Yeah, 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 very much so. They line, like, they line the streets and they'll, they'll, follow, the, the, they'll follow the bus um, to its location. You've got, you've got security guards sort of holding people back near belting them, going, get out of the way. We need to get these people into their hotels. So um, it's, uh, they, and it, it's, it's not a nasty, like they don't mean them any harm. It's, it's genuinely just people who have this um, fanatical love of the game and that's how, that's how they like to express it. Now, for me, mate, I'm a grown adult right now, and if someone said to me, hey, we want you to come and play a season of footy in Papua New Guinea in the under-12s, being the adult <laughs> I am, my whole body would go, fuck no. I would rather do time than play PNG footy. Did you play a season yourself? So I play. yeah, I played uh, – my one and only season of rugby league as a, as a 12-year-old was um, for the Barocco East Public School, and I was um, – I think I was a front. I actually think I was a front rower, and um, yeah. We, what they did was was they had about I think they had about six or seven schools that were involved, and they bought all of the. So we I think we I think we wore the Souths jerseys, and um, I came up against one team, and this probably I think this might have been the last game of rugby league I ever played. We came up against uh, Ella Beach Primary. And I remember walking out onto the field and a lot of the players that we were playing against were like, they hadn't shaved that day. And I was like, I'm like, it's the first time I think I've ever genuinely feared for my personal well-being on the basis of what someone else is physically going to do to me. And so um, I just remember I was sort of supposed to be out there as, a, as the enforcer. And I just remember these blokes running at me. And I just went, no, nope, there's the trial line. It, it's all yours. But I do remember playing with this one fella. His name and God, his name was Jason Look, and I think he was um, his father was a Filipino, and he had absolute mongrel about him. He, Jason just did not care. He would sort of call it, give me the ball, and I was like, gladly. And he'd sort of run it up and take these hit ups. And um, and I remember, and the only other thing I remember about playing these games is that sometimes we'd have like a four or five man overlap. And I'd say to Jason, Jason, why are you passing it out here? And he yelled at me, he says, because by the time we get it out there, you don't do anything and they've got a six-man overlap. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a crazy experience, but I nearly broke my leg. Um, it sort of got tangled up in one of the tackles and um, my mum pulled the pin. She said, look, you don't have to do this anymore. And and I sort of was – Jason, thanks, mum. Far out. I think I wanted to think I was a cow. I was like, oh, you know, come on, mum, don't be diff- – oh, okay. And <laughs> Hold me back, hold me back. Yeah, that uh, that ended my rugby league career. Oh, mate, I couldn't think of anything worse than playing over in PNG. They just hit different, don't they? They do, they do. They, 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 it's just a completely different mentality and they're sort of um, – particularly with the um, with the coastal um, the coastal um, Papua New Guineans – They've got um, – no, sorry, my apologies, particularly with um, from the Highlands because they've got these strong, stocky bodies and um, and they've just got this low centre of gravity and once they hit you, like you just – you stay hit for a very long time. It's um, – yeah, it's actually some of the more haunting – some of the more haunting um, impact I've ever experienced in my life. Well, mate, like the two that stand out for me, obviously James Seguiaro, you know, the hits that he used to put on, just unbelievable. 
Mm. Well, the first the first real sort of um, big name Papua New Guinean rugby league player I remember, and I'm certainly not saying that he is the biggest, but um, Marcus Bai, Mar- Marcus yeah. Bai for the Melbourne Storm was huge. He was before his time, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we still had a fair bit of contact with um, with um, friends in Port Moresby, and um, and yeah, they were like, oh yeah, don't worry, Marcus is um, he's got a strong following over here. They they um, yeah, they're always following him each week to see how he's going. And so yeah, Melbourne Storm got a got a fresh fan base out of it. So mate, whilst you're over in P and G getting the shit beat out of you playing footy, there's a young kid who's starting to play some first grade at the Newcastle Knights, a halfback that you'd go on to, you know dedicate a heap of time and effort into Joey Johns. What was your first memory? What people, one of the things that is really easy to lose sight of today is that 25 years, 25 years ago, all right, in Newcastle, episodes of Home and Away were on delay. It, it was almost like the, the time it took for these shows to travel 160 kilometres up the coast meant that, you know, we had to get things a couple of weeks after what was happening in Sydney. Now, the reason that I mentioned that is that, so I left Newcastle six months before the earthquake. We moved to Sydney in 1995 and didn't come back to Newcastle until the year 2000. And so this name, this name Andrew Johns, was really only getting a bit of a mention when uh, Origin and um, the Australian team was being talked about. But on a week-to-week basis, uh, you know, particularly as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, I wasn't really – like it was, it was actually quite hard to get a lot of sort of in-depth sort of um, analysis and, and footage of, of, what he was, of what he was doing at the time. So my earliest probably recollections of Joey – are really being picked out of position in rep sides and there'd be this media speculation about whether or not he was up to being a rep player or whether or not he wanted to be a rep player because he was complaining about playing hooker. So so it, it's a very sort of funny first interaction for me with Joey because living in Sydney and hearing about this great player from Newcastle that everyone's talking up, my earliest rec- recollections of it was like, well, everyone's talking him up, but you keep telling us, telling me that he's not good enough. I'm like, is he good or isn't he good? So it was it was a bit of a catch-22 for me when I first started to really follow him. And I guess, mate, like it's obviously a different world now. You know, if there's a young kid in Newcastle doing well, you've seen his highlight packages yeah. 10 times this week. Yeah. It wasn't like that back then, was it? No, it really it, – it, it, yeah, it absolutely wasn't. And um, I, think, uh, I think it really was a testament to how well he was going. I sort of paid a little bit of attention to the – the, the World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup in 95. And he went over there and he killed it and he got the Man of a Match award. And that was when I was like, I think, I, I think I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. I reckon, I reckon this uh, – I think I said to my dad, I was like, I think this, uh, this John's kid, I reckon he's going to go all right, Dad. We should keep our eye on him. And the rest, as they say, is history. Mate, obviously, probably the biggest moment in his career comes in that 1997 grand final. You know, Manly, the red-hot favourites and – Joey being Joey, you know, the big stage arrived and the big player stood up. What are your memories from the 97 grand final? So, okay, so again, I'm based in Sydney. Um, I, I, I um, lived across the road from Leichhardt Oval from 95 to about the year 2000. My earliest memory of that grand final was the coverage of Andrew Johns's medical condition. The, and it, it's funny, when you listen to the Gary Harley coverage of Darren Albert's try he he pointedly says 
after all the crap the Sydney media have given us this year, uh, sorry, leading up to this try, um, experiencing that firsthand, it, it, he was not, he wasn't exaggerating that. My my earliest memory of that of that game and the coverage of it was, yeah, Andrew Johns could die if he takes the field, and there was just all this speculation about what was going on with his ribs and whether or not he'd get through the game, and so I was. I was actually petrified. I remember watching the game, being petrified that, not necessarily my favourite player, but petrified that this kid who was about to take, I was like, I hope nothing happens to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just remember all of the speculation really revolved around whether or not Andrew Johns was healthy enough to take the field. It was a uh, punctured lung, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 punctured lung. And I don't think I was old enough to appreciate that at the time. I think I was so medically challenged at the time. I think what they were worried about was one of his broken – I think <laughs> – I genuinely think what I thought was he, they were worried that his broken rib was going to puncture his lung. That, that's how little I realized what was going on at the time. I imagine a broken rib must have been a Tuesday afternoon for you in uh, P&G. <laughs> Still haunts me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you now going, how are you in one piece? Oh, look, let me tell you something. There's there's not a fight that I never lost by less than 50 metres, mate. And uh, one of the things, like I said, when when I when my leg was not in a good way after one tackle, mum was like, look, my son really knows how to keep his, himself out of trouble. If this is happening, it's not going to be long before something bad happens. So uh, I, I, I managed to look after myself. Mate, obviously that play the ball happens Joey goes down the short side. He finds Darren Albert back on the inside. Tell me the emotions around when Albie puts that ball down. I, I almost missed it, but it was. I I was um, when I as, as a teenager, I was very edgy when I watched sport. For some reason, um, for me, sport has always mattered. Like I remember, you know, as a as an eight year old blowing up at mum and dad because they weren't taking the one day as seriously enough that we were going to lose by six runs to England in the in the World Series cricket. You know, it, it always it always mattered to me. So I put my hand up as being the worst Newcastle Knights fan going around uh, back in 97 because I had zero hope, especially especially at 16 to 8 down at, um, at half time. So when um, – I'm actually just remembering sort of uh, watching the game. So um, I was with the old man and we, we were just in the living room and I think I was back and forth. In fact, I think I'd almost resigned myself to the fact, I'm like, oh, well, we'll sit through extra time. And um, I'd sort of gone to get a get a, a lemonade or something and I sort of came back and I went, what is this idiot doing? <laughs> I was like, why is he running the ball? We've got there's 10 seconds on the clock. You've got to go for the field goal. And I was like, you've Joey, you've, you've messed it up. They're, they're going to talk. And yeah, the next, I, I think I was, I was so upset that um, he ran the ball. I was, I wasn't even relieved when Darren Albert scored. I was just shocked. Like, Oh, where did that come from? And I think I just, you know, you sort of fall down in a heap and you just, it's happened. And, and yeah, I just, I just, I didn't know what to do after that. I was just so stunned by it all, mate. It's such an incredible moment. I, like I know for me that there's two moments in in rugby league history that I think will never be beaten. It's that one, and it's probably Michael Morgan setting Kyle Felt up to even up that grand final. But yeah, mate, they're yeah, just 100%. two moments that you're just never going to see again, are we? Well, 
The thing about them is, is that because they did, they did talk about those moments recently on Fox Sport, and it's funny that you should mention that one because those two um, supporter bases, in particular, the you know that sort of one town team, but they're not the big, they're not the big fish in the league sort of thing. Like they're the 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 Cowboys and the Knights have that thing in common where they're sort of always seen as the little brother in the grand scheme of things, yeah. and. Those two moments in particular represented more than just, you know, it, it represented so much more than just um, the result on the field. The thing about, and, and I, look, I, I certainly can't speak for um, Townsville or, or you know, the Cowboys supporters, so I can, I can only speak from my own experience, but you um, can't appreciate how much a sense of accomplishment and place that um, Darren Albert's try gave to uh, Newcastle. You know, it, it, people people do like to sort of talk around, they go, oh, you, you romanticise it a little bit. The, the city of Newcastle was really on its, it really was on its knees. There was there, there was just this sort of sense that, um, and, and albeit, you know, I was living in Sydney at the time, I was sort of coming back and forth a little bit visiting um, um, family and, uh, and, uh, and, my, and my cousin who did live up here. But can't, you really can't quantify how much a sense of belonging and good enough was just um, spoken to the town because we were able to win this this national competition. It's um, it's yeah again it's something else that's sort of almost indescribable. You needed to experience it. Well, mate, like they've won grand finals since. They'll win more in the future, but you can only win that first one once as well, can't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. and. I think I think in a lot of ways it's sort of I mean, you know, we, we've only got the two premierships and we're 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 looking down the barrel of a twenty year premiership drought at the moment. But I do think of a lot of teams in so many sports that lose that first grand final, and it really can sometimes be a long way back. I mean, you even look at um, the Cowboys in twenty fifteen. Well, it was ten years after they lost their first one. Yep. And there's just something so. Um, Again, I'm I'm sort of stumbling over my words words a little bit, but in order to be able to, because Manly, because Manly were the best team of that of that period. I've actually said, you know, to a couple of friends, I said, look, one of my hot takes is that um, that Manly team, in a lot of ways, was probably uh, denied a three peat. I mean, they I think they lost to the Dogs in '95 uh, off the back of a seven tackle set. They won in '96, and then obviously '97 happened. But Manly really were the dominant team of that era, so. I think as well for Newcastle, it, it wasn't like we just fell over the line and 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 beat an also round. We we beat the best, and um, yeah, it was it it um, it genuinely is something that they can't take away from us, and yeah, it's something that we do hold dear. Mate, Joey was incredible that day on the field, but off the field after some of the tapes that come out of there, you know, him on the skateboard, the Lego clip, it's just top shelf, isn't it? And 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 that's 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 the that's the man as much as it is the the legend. He's um, he is what he is. He plays hard. He trains hard. Um, but then he plays hard again. And and I love him for it. I sort of um, you know in a lot of ways in a lot of ways. Look, as a pure rugby league lover, there probably is a part of me that gets a little bit frustrated that Andrew didn't take the the training and the fitness and the well-being of his body a little bit more seriously. But then I think to myself, being the player that he was, if he was any different off the field, I mean, 
I, I'm I'm a massive fan of what Shane Warne d- um, did on the cricket field. Not so much what he did off the off the off the field. But then you think to yourself, in a lot of ways, can you really have it both ways? I mean, would you have Shane Warne the player if you didn't have Shane Warne, you know, the the individual off the field? And I think in a lot of ways that sort of does apply to apply to Joey. You, you hear the stories of him as a as a youth player who would be sort of like, well, I'll get on the drink until 6 o'clock the night before training and I'll still be the best trainer the next day and I'll still be the best player the ne- that weekend because that's what I, that's what I do. So um, um, I, I don't think – yeah, that's a roundabout way of saying I don't think you can have the 97 um, Joey on the field without what then happened for the next month and a half off it um, uh, in celebrating. Mate, obviously, four years later, 2001, we'll talk about it in a moment. You know, Joey captains the Knights. Clive Churchill medal just has a star-studded game. But for you, you know, you spoke to me earlier about the year 2000 was quite crucial to you. Tell me about that season. So, for me, in a lot of ways, so what people, what a lot of people focus on, because I'll go back a little bit, what a lot of people focus on, particularly in 98, is the Knights losing 26-6 to to Brisbane. Uh, at Marathon Stadium. And I sort of say, well, look, Brisbane were obviously the better team of the era. You know, they were the true champion. Um, And everyone has this idea that uh, Brisbane then ran away with the comp. What uh, people um, actually do overlook is that the Knights were the team who were looking to be the minor premier, but um, suspensions, injuries got the better of them at the end. Now, they finished with uh, an exact same, I think, 18 wins, one draw, five loss record, uh, as the Broncos did, and the Broncos got over them on a significantly superior points difference. Anyway, the reason I mention that is that um, there's this idea that the Knights won in 97, and then they just weren't really that good, and then this 2001 premiership appeared. But that's that's actually really not the case. 98, they were convincingly the, the, the one of the top two teams of the comp, and then I think a, a long year just caught up with them in finals and they went out in straight sets. Now, 1999 was not a good year for them. Um, I think Warwick Ryan had just come in. The, the team wasn't really functioning and sort of, um, you know, they, they, they failed to meet expectations. For me, though, 2000 really is the season where tr- that true night's almost pinnacle um, sort of uh, came along that, that made way for the 2001 Premiership. I um I was uh, in Wollongong uh, towards the end of the season for a mate's party, and the Friday night game, which was on at the time, was the Knights hosting uh, the Roosters, and that was that was the night where it was a packed house. Um, in hindsight, I wish I'd been at the game instead, but it is what it is. And Andrew Johns put on a three try performance, and the Knights blew the Roosters off the park. I think forty two to six. And there's one play where Joey does a chip and chase regather and he lays off to Danny Badira. So I, I posted the clip uh, on um, on the social media recently. I, I remember watching that at the time, just thinking to myself, and because uh, Ray Warren even says it in commentary, he says Andrew John's one of the greatest players of all time. And this is a kid who's only been playing um, for five or six years. And I remember watching at the time going, I've never seen someone execute like that. I, I was used to seeing Alan Langer chip and chase and regather and, and you know, they'd work their way to try it. But it, it just, it, it genuinely to me looked like he had this um, 
spell over the ball where the ball was just going to do exactly what he wanted to do in the way he wanted to do it. Um, and I'd, I just I just remember watching it at the time going, I, I have, I've never seen anything that good before. And so Knights sort of knocked off Melbourne in the um, semi-final, the first week of finals. Um, it was jo- it was Johns v Kamali, and we got up thirty points to sixteen, and that was Maddie Johns' last, Maddie Johns and Tony Butterfield's last game uh, in Newcastle and for the club. Two thousand, in a lot of ways, really was, and despite the fact that we uh, choked in the prelim, we almost sort of arrived because um, I think we. We sort of we 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 finished top four, I think, three seasons in a row, and so that 2000, 2001, 2002 period really was, in a lot of ways, the halcyon days of the Knights. But it started in that two thousand season where they really did emerge as a powerhouse and be like, no, we're gonna we're gonna take charge of the comp a little bit here. Mate, you mentioned the game against the Roosters there, and and for me, when I look back on the early two, you know, really late nineties, early two thousands, whenever Joey and Freddie would meet, it was just a much uh, a must-watch, wasn't it? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. They, they, so, they brought the best out of each I'm other. Gonna, yeah, look, I don't know if I'm jumping a little bit ahead here. I was I was very lucky to be at um, the the first week of finals in 2001 when um, uh, the Knights beat the Roosters 40 points to six. And there's a couple of things I always remember about that game is that uh, Brad Fittler had been belted. I can't remember if it was the game before or two games earlier, but he copped this massive head-high shot. And when he came out onto the field, he had these massive duck lips. And what had happened was is that Freddie had copped these – like it, it, his teeth had just ripped through his, um, through his um, lips and he'd copped these massive infections. And so he was on, I think, intense painkillers – for these these mouth, these mouth ulcers, um, for this this finals game against the Knights. Now the other thing about that game is that Andrew Joey came. I can't remember if he scored one or two. I think he only scored the one try, but it was this brilliant solo effort. He was landing goals from all over the place, and we won at forty points to six. Now Joey was concussed early in that game. He actually put on a performance that if the game was played today, he wouldn't be allowed to do it. And it's very questionable as to whether or not um, he would have come back the next week because I've got no doubt we would have lost without him if he'd been taken off under HIA protocols. And so that, in a roundabout way, those battles between Johns and Fittler really were battles of their era. Like they are, the, 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 you're not going to see battles like that again because they were two just beaten up footballers just still going at each other. Whereas today, you, you're not allowed to have that set of circumstances. They, yeah, they were, they were great. We genuinely didn't appreciate it at the time. You know, Johns, Fittler, Lockyer, we had some great players running around all at the same time. It was amazing. And I think the other thing that's so special about that time is that, you know, nowadays if you have, you know, the three best players in the comp, at the end of the day they're, they're communicating all week on social media. They've got a relationship all year. Like Johns yeah. and Freddie, they might see each other at, at a rep camp, but other yeah. than that they would just see each other when they ran out there on the other side of the field and they would just go hammer and tong for 80 and then, you know, they'd shake hands, probably have a beer after. But they would only have those, you know, three or four run-ins a year and it was just fireworks every time. Yeah, and it, it brought the best. They, they always brought the best out of each other. That was what that was what you always. Uh, I mean, 
you know, I think about Darren Lockyer. <laughs> I don't think Knights and Broncos ever had close games. They always had blowout games. So you'd always have um, uh, Joey coming up against um, Kevin Walters or, you know, Lockie when he moved into 5 eight. But, I'll, you know, I think of the battle of, like, um, Adam McDougall and, uh, and Wendell Saylor as well. I always, I always remember, I think it was 1999, 98 or 99, um, Adam McDougall one-on-one strips Wendell Saylor and runs the length of the field. Um, to score to score a try, you know there, there were always these individual battles that you could just look forward to because you knew when they all set foot on the field, they just wanted to get one up on the on this on the um, on their opponent. It was great to watch, mate. Wendell and Mad Dog, that was special, wasn't it? Absolutely, I still remember the last time they played against each other, where um, Wendell's given it to Mad Dog because he says, "Well, I've scored two tries," to which Mad Dog then gets the game winner. And he's pointed at him with the one finger. You know, there was. <laughs> Great characters. It was great to watch. You just don't see it anymore, do you? I think. Look, you know, at the expense of sounding like one of those, um, one of those, they were, you know, rose coloured. I think they're different. Whatever they're seeing today certainly wasn't what I was seeing twenty years ago. Mate, take me to two thousand and one. Obviously, that grand yeah. final. You know, it's out at Homebush, coming up against the red hot Parramatta Eels. I've said a few times on my podcast, they're the best team to never win a premiership, and absolutely. the one thing that stood in their way was Joey. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've, you know, I said it earlier on on uh, this evening where I'm I'm probably the worst Newcastle Knights fan going around. I had zero faith in '97. Well, if I had zero faith in '97, I had even less faith in 2001. It, it for me, the grand final really was the Olympics. I was just happy to be a part of it. Um, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit. My And again, most of my great rugby league experiences revol- revolve around my father. My father always made sure that I got to the big games. We went to oh, – just quickly, he took me to the 2000 prelim as well, and we managed to get free tickets out front from this guy. I was like, look, I can't go anymore. Do you want these? And so we had these, you know, row 12, 50 halfway line tickets, and I actually watched Brad Fittler intercept right in front of me. What a moment. <laughs> Yeah, but in 2001, um, again, Dad took me to the uh, Knights v Sharks preliminary final and it is still to this day one of the best games of rugby league, of sport, I've ever witnessed, I've ever been experienced. The, the atmosphere was amazing, the game itself was amazing and we were on a train coming back to Newcastle and Dad just said to me, do not worry, we will be at the grand final next week. And um, I think he I think he had tickets booked. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I might, be, I might be overselling this a bit because I can't remember the exact timing, but it was either the next day, it was either the next day on the Sunday or the Monday, Dad had the tickets um, bought for the grand final. He says these were not easy to get. and um, I think so he would have sold you for them if he needed to, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were sitting behind the 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 try try area, the goal area at the northern end, um, on the side where Billy Peden scored his first try, and we got we got on the Sid Fogg's bus and we went down. And we were sort of chatting with uh, 
and it was a really weird it was almost a shocked mood in the rest of the bus a lot of us were, were sort of driving down going so like we, we we just didn't know what to expect we were like we're going down to, we're going down to play against the the best home and away team that's ever played the game um you know but we we, we like our chances we, we put on a great performance last week but no disrespect to the sharks they're no eels we at, at their best they'll be a formidable opponent so we didn't really know what to expect so I said to my dad, right, we're getting our money's worth, dad. We're not, um, you know, we've got grand final tickets. We're getting there as soon as the gates open. And we watched all of the reserve grade games from the from that afternoon and we just got on the drink as hard as we could. Mate, it really is forgotten just how good that Parramatta side was. Very much so. Very much so. I sort of, Jay Marsh is one of those players that gets lost a little bit in terms of um, what he contributed to the game because – in a lot of ways, he was really the last hooker that Queensland had before Cameron Smith came along. That's like that's really his claim to fame. But the reason Cameron Smith got his run was because uh, PJ Smith got knocked out, I think, in game two of the 2003 series. And he was the, he was the starting hooker, I think. And so they were like, well, look, we'll bring in this Cameron Smith. It's a dead rubber. We'll, we'll give him a go. And, um, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But um, PJ Marsh in 2001 was the he was the Craig Wing of his time. He was the he was the go to boom utility that um, was supposed to come on and ice the game for the Eels after your Brad Drew at um, dummy half had sort of run rings around the starting opponents. Wasn't Brad Drew amazing that year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get your 20 point lead for the Eels after half an hour. You bring on PJ Marsh and then you really crush them into the ground. And you know. PJ actually almost did that to the Knights in that game where he came. You know, everyone remembers the tries. Everyone remembers the um, the, 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 the goals and and um, Joey getting the, the Clive Churchill medal. Great performance by Ben Kennedy. Too easily gets overlooked, though, is the break by PJ Marsh towards the end of the first half. And it's Andrew Johns who comes tearing from the other side of the field. And as PJ Marsh steps him, Joey reaches back in and dislodges the ball from PJ Marsh's grasp. Now we're twenty-four to nil up at that stage. The game finishes tw- uh, thirty to twenty-four. Twenty-four to nil is a is a significantly different uh, scoreline than twenty-four to six. And I've got no doubt if Andrew Johns doesn't reach out and dislodge that ball, PJ Marsh is probably in under the post, or he's throwing, he's laying it off um, uh, for someone else to finish off the try. So. Yeah, PJ actually did run the risk of um, spoiling that party for the Knights that night. But, uh, yeah, Joey sort of stepped up again. Mate, the siren goes. Newcastle, they won their second premiership. You're there at the stadium. Explain to me the emotions. It was – when you've when you've won something that you had every – 97 was just something completely different. It, it was just – it was something – it was a tight game all the way to the end. Um, Knights actually had a really big habit in 2001. Well, not a really big habit, but I think we've got the record for giving up the biggest lead or having the biggest amount of points scored as the losing side. I think we were up something like 34 to 6 or something against the Tigers earlier in the season, or 32 to 12, and we lost that game. And so the Knights were not known as finishers. We put, we put on the defensive performance of our lives against the Sharks the week before. But myself and a fair few other Knights fans at halftime at 24 to nil, we were remembering two things. 
One was the Tigers game where we'd given up the big lead. And two was the preliminary final against the Roosters in 2000 where they came back over the top of us. So there was a certain sort of sense of anxiety about what was going to happen in the second half. Now, we got through the first 20 minutes all right. Um, we sort of exchanged a couple of tries. Um, but, yeah, but the Eels just sort of came back into it. And, uh, you know, we were up by six with 10 seconds to go and they had the ball. And it really was a sense of relief when the siren went. It was just relief and shock. You, you couldn't believe that it had sort of happened. And the the stadium was near empty by that stage. My my best friend at the time was actually at that game. He was a mad heel supporter. And he was up the other end of the field um, with his with his mates. And I remember talking with him afterwards. He's like, yeah, we stayed to the last siren. He said, I didn't really want to, but we figured we bought grand final tickets. Because I think they bought grand final tickets in June. <laughs> and um, um, when the siren went, we were just all up on our feet. We're cheering until our lungs went. To, um, lungs were empty of air. Our, our throats were sort of hoarse, and we just we just couldn't believe it. We, we we had our second premiership, and you know there was that there was that. Oh, you only won half a comp, sort of going around. And I think a lot of us were going, can't take this one away from us. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty awesome. Explain to me when you get back to Newcastle, what's doing. Um. I can. It's funny, you know. And actually, I now remember. I think I was sitting next to a reporter from the Newcastle Herald on the bus ride back, and we were all just sitting there looking around, going, "Well, did that? Did that really just happen? Did we really just see that?" Anyway, word started whispering around that they were like, "Well, everyone's going back to the stadium now." And I think at one point I even said, "Oh, they think a hundred thousand people are going to go," which was just stupid. But because I think the game finishes at about ten p.m. And so we didn't get into Newcastle until well after midnight. And by the time we got to the stadium, and I remember being really excited about it. I was like, oh, come on, Dad, let's go Let's go up into the grandstand. We never get to go up into the grandstand seats when the Knights are playing. And so we were up on the top deck of the Tin Shed um, uh, Western Grandstand. And there was this song at the time in Newcastle that was doing the rounds. That Daniel Ar- David Arvidsson, I think his name was, and it was just called Newcastle. And I always remember that because my four-year-old sister at the time learnt the song back um, off by heart. And there's a lot, there's a line in it where he sort of said the, about these two people hooking up and they're at John Hunter six months later uh, or nine months later. And my, my four-year-old sister's singing that. My mum's like, oh, oh, mercy. But we got a call over the, um, the loudspeaker from the grand announcer going, Joey's on his way and he's bringing the trophy and he wants to hear that that song that everybody loves. And so Joey and Mick Hagen are bringing the trophy out as this Newcastle song is blaring around. And, yeah, they just did the rounds around the ground and we were all stunned. And I think I was so exhausted by that stage. From I've been drinking since midday. I said, come on, Dad, I need to get some sleep. <laughs> because oh, Because this was the other thing, actually. One thing I've forgotten to mention was – when the Knights qualified for the grand final, I was like, right, I've got to do something. I've got to do something awesome. So if you really want to talk about fan in Fanatic, I went down to um, uh, Priceline and I got a whole bunch of hair dye. And I had my hair dyed with this red mohawk on the middle and bright blue on the sides. And, um, and so there's actually a picture of me. My mum kept the clipping. You can see me. The only reason you can see me in the crowd is because I've got this big, bright red-blue hair. Um, that's just um, standing out from the crowd. 
And so uh, it had been a long week for me. And so I said, come on, Dad, I've, I've, got to get, I've actually got to go to university, back to university on, um, on Tuesday. And so I was walking around um, Sydney University with this blue and red hair, and people were like, what is this clown doing? I was like, well, you guys don't appreciate that. You know, my team's just won the premiership, and, uh, and we're awesome. Yeah, it was a pretty wild time. Mate, you mentioned, obviously, Joey walking back into the stadium with the trophy now. No, the next few years for Joey, it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, so, 2002, 2003, 2004, his uh, seasons are cut short by injury. Um, I was actually just saying to a friend a couple of days ago, unfortunately, some of the most cursed words that Andrew Johns ever uttered was when he um, he got his Daly M Award in 2002, and he said, individual accolades are great, um, but he says, what I want to do is I want to win more premierships for Newcastle. Now, at the time, we obviously didn't realise. We were like, yeah, we like the sound of that. More premierships would be great. And, of course, he wouldn't win another one again. And um, 2002, 2002, in a lot of ways, to me, gets overlooked a little bit in respect of um, in respect of that should have achieved more because – the year 2000 is always looked at the one that we sort of threw our opportunity away. And who knows what was going to happen against the Broncos in 2000. I maintain we would have won, but, you know, whatever. But 2002 was, in a lot of ways, reminiscent of 1998, where we'd won a premiership the year before. We'd finished second on the ladder in um, the home and away, only on points differential. But we got knocked out in straight sets as well. And it all resolved. It all revolved around ten minutes into the game, uh, Luke Bailey uh, landing his knees into Joey's um, back and breaking vertebra, and that was the that was really the end of that season. And then Joey's Joey's career sort of um, he really only had one good complete season again after that, which was two thousand and six. And um, but injuries just sort of started to take their toll. You you can't play. Apparently, you can't play the game at 110% every weekend for a particularly long period of time. Now, mate, I would argue that, you know, I, we talked about Brad Fittler earlier and I watched his career unfold and I thought that his last three or four years is when he was his most complete footballer. I yeah. thought Lockie was the same. I think a lot of guys are. In my opinion, I think we were potentially robbed of Joey's, you know, most complete and most mature football. How would you respond to that? So... For me, 2001 and 2002 are probably Andrew John's greatest individual um, regular season performances. Uh, I think he was top point scorer in uh, 2001. He missed out. I think he missed out on a Dalian medal through suspension, notwithstanding the fact that Preston Campbell was amazing that year. Um, Joey got his uh, got it. Joey got another Daly M in 2002. I, I think individually, points wise, um, games played wise, th- those are his best seasons. Uh, Andrew was 28 by the end of 2002. I'll, I'll go. I'll go about this in a, in a in a fairly roundabout way. In 2003, before the Origin series, uh, News Limited, yeah, News Limited, the Daily Telegraph made a very big deal about the issues or the personality clashes that were arising between Phil Gould and Andrew Johns, and they were saying, "Oh, there's trouble in paradise. Captain and the coach aren't happy. New South Wales Blues are in big trouble." Um, I, I think what the substance of their disagreements were often about was Phil Gould trying to explain to Andrew that I don't need you to be the star in the first 10 minutes. I need you to be the star in the last 10 minutes. And he was trying to explain to Andrew that 
you're no good to me tired and exhausted at the end when I need you to ice the game if you're putting in for the first 70 minutes of just trying to tackle front rowers and trying to take every kick and trying to be everywhere at once. He says, you're getting, you're starting to get to an age, mate, where you need to play smarter, not harder. Now, Andrew John's the competitor. I don't think entirely capable of that. I don't think he knew how to play the game in a way. I think in a lot of ways there was that, that Michael Jordan mentality about it where it's like you play every game to win at the best of your abilities no matter what. So that's why for me I do often wonder if best of Joey that we got in 2001 and 2002 and to a certain extent 2000 as well is the best of Joey that we were ever going to get because I think if he played the game differently and certainly in 2006 he played the game he played a very different game that year he played a full season but you know you can even see his arm is taped up by the end of it you know he had major neck injury I don't know if Andrew knew how to play the game differently. And I think if he did, I don't know if he would have been Joey. That, and there's only one, because there, there's just one other thing that I want to add to that is that this is off the back of a career as well, where he's played and trained as a halfback in the regular season. And then he's being thrown into the representative arena as a hooker to take on a fair, a fair amount of more defensive duties as well. So by the time he's getting to those late 20s, early 30s, his body really is, it really has been belted around a fair bit by that stage. So, yeah, I, I, you know, if Andrew had played a lot differently, gone down the Brad Fittler path, you know, maybe we would have gotten a bit more time out of him. But I think by that stage, the body was sort of already done. And I just don't think he knew how to do it any differently. Mate, obviously you talk about his body breaking down and I believe 2005, the body breaks down again, but he, he manages to return for that state of origin game. And I think... Whether you're a Newcastle fan, whether you're a Queensland fan, whoever you might be, you've got to appreciate the performance in that game of footy. I love, I, I love telling this story. Obviously, obviously, because um, uh, New South Wales won, Andrew Johns showed that he was the the, the king of that arena, and um, you know it was it was, um, it was just an awesome night. The reason I love telling this, uh, talking about that night so much, though, is that. In 2005, I was working at a resort down at um, Lake Macquarie, uh, just out near Swansea. And for some unknown reason, our employer had decided to bring over some French foreign exchange students. And um, they were sort of doing a bit of work experience. Um, You know, they were doing it. It was a cultural sort of studies thing. Anyway, for some reason that night, I went, I was like, well, look, I'm going out to the Duke of Wellington to watch this State of Origin tonight. Do you guys want to come? And um, it was um, uh, Johan, Hervé, and I can't remember the third, the, the third girl's name. So, uh, Sophia, Sophia, I think. And, um, and they were like, look, we're, we're down on Lake Macquarie. We don't know anyone and we're not doing anything. Yeah, sure, we'll come along. So one of the things that always stands out for me that night is that I said, I said, oh, look, you're going to watch the greatest, the greatest rugby, rugby player in the world. So forget Union or League. Andrew Johns is the best person with an oval-shaped ball in his hands. And, and they're like, oh, <laughs> that is very good. I was like, no, 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 trust me on this. And I remember about halfway through the second half, 
one of them looked at me and goes, this guy is amazing. I, I cannot believe it. And it was so funny because I said, I said, well, look, you know, um, rugby, you, the, the Wallabies wanted him to play. And, they, and, they said, and he said, no, the, the Wallabies. And he said, if he plays for the Wallabies, they would be unbeatable. And I said, I said, yeah, that's that's just how good he was. And it, it was just amazing to me that these people who, uh, who'd never really experienced rugby league before could appreciate the greatness that was in front of them. And... And again, a lot like the, a lot, I really am a pessimistic bastard. I think a lot like the uh, 97 grand final and the 2001 grand final. I was petrified that Joey was going to get showing up, showing up. I was like, just don't be rubbish. <laughs> and of course, he, you know, he put in one of those, don't worry, I've got this performances and um, smoked it. But um, as, as great as game two was of 2005, um, he was he was just as good again um a, a couple of weeks like a few weeks later in game three where he took you know he said straight at the end of two thousand of the of the two thousand five game two he said job's not done yet and yeah lo and behold he he went up to um brisbane and uh they won the decider and um that yeah, was awesome it was just it was absolutely awesome to to sort of see him get that it, but particularly for joey because he had he really did have a rough time in the um Origin Arena. If I can just quickly go back to 2000 again, uh, people underestimate that his Origin career was – his papers were apparently marked. He um, was injured for game one of that 2000 series. The uh, New South Wales just won game one. But it was only because Terry Hill got an injury in for game two that the, a bench spot came open and Joey took that, took that spot. And it was the same thing in 2005 as well. People forget Trent Barrett was the starting halfback for game two in 2005. And he pulled out with a thigh injury, and they said, "Right, well, Joey, you're you're now. We need you to fill this gap for us." He went, "Yeah, no worries." Just an incredible effort, you know that 2005 series. Take me a year or two down the track when Joey eventually does retire. I imagine, you know, a pretty heartbreaking moment for yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's easily look, it's it's easily one of the top five worst times of my life. I sort of I sometimes jokingly say it was worse than my divorce, and. Sometimes I'm not sure how how much I'm joking about it. Look, um, I'll go back a couple of weeks before um, Joey announced his retirement to when he got knocked out by Sonny Bill Williams. So Joey's last game for the Knights was the round three loss, I think 48 to 12 or something, to the Raiders in um, in Canberra. And I remember around that time his brother Maddie was you know visibly worried about him on on Fox or on Channel 9 commentary, just saying, Joey, you know, you've got nothing left to prove. I'm, I'm asking you to, you know, just look after yourself when it came. I was like, what's everyone talking about retirement for? He's not dead. And um, I remember I found out on the Sydney, on the smh.com.au website, it was just this little breaking news panel up in the top left-hand corner of the computer screen, and it just said, um, Andrew John's to retire. And... Um, yeah, my um, my blood froze, and I just yeah, I just didn't believe it. I sort of um, yeah, I, I um, it was uh, I just couldn't believe it was over. <laughs> How long after the retirement did the idea for the statue start to creep into your mind? Oh, a lazy 12, 12 and a half years. Um, <laughs> I um, I I was saying to um, I was saying to. Uh, some mates during the week i said i'd love to say that this was a, a noble cause or i um you know i wanted to do i just woke up one day and i said let's do something good 
Nah, it was it was it was bought entirely out of pettiness because I was like, if Jonathan Thurston's getting a statue, then damn it, Andrew Johns deserves a statue as well. So I've got to thank uh, I've got to thank uh, JT and the great people of Far North Queensland um, because without them, this certainly wouldn't have happened. Um, so it was um, it was off the back of uh, the new stadium in Townsville where I said. We need to get this done for our. We need to get this done for our boy. A, a small, a small sign on a big uh, grandstand at Newcastle just doesn't do the job. It's got to be a bronze statue. Mate, let's fast forward a few years, and Wayne Bennett arrives in town with Darius Boyd beside him. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a lot of mixed emotions around this time, and they're obviously two quite polarizing figures. What yeah. are your memories from that time? My, my memories are, and my cousin Thor, who I've, I've got season tickets with, and we've been going to the games together for the last six or seven years. Um, he he will he will confirm to you that I actually I used to watch a little half hour program on a Sunday morning on the ABC called The Offsiders, and there was a fella on there, uh, Frank something or other, I can't remember. He had a big big shaven head, and he said, "Do not discount Wayne Bennett going to Newcastle." And I was like, "Oh, hello." And he said, Wayne Bennett, I always remember this because he said, Wayne Bennett is very aware of his legacy and he wants to be the the first coach uh, in rugby league to win premierships with three different clubs. He said, uh, Jack Gibson couldn't do it. He, he, He couldn't get it done, couldn't get the job done at Cronulla. And Wayne Bennett is very aware that he has an opportunity to do that. And, um, the reason that came up is he said Wayne Bennett thinks that he has an opportunity to do that with Newcastle. Newcastle would present him with that chance um, when his contract runs out at the Dragons. And I remember saying to my cousin, I said, oh, look, they reckon they reckon that Wayne's a chance to come here. Anyway, I forgot about that. And when the speculation really started to ramp up about the greatest coach of all time, and he is coming to Newcastle, I just, I just refused to believe it because I was like, Newcastle has hurt me before. I'm not going to let that happen again. And I remember when it was announced that he was coming, it was just, it really was just excitement because um, we'd had a sort of lean trot since Joey left. We hadn't played finals. Brian, Brian Smith had come and gone and um, sent Danny Badiris overseas. And yeah, it was a really bit of a down period for the club. So it was just hope. It was just excitement. It was just like, oh, this is this is cool. This is something good that should be happening for us. Mate, obviously we look back at the Wayne Bennett era and, you know, the way that I look at it, obviously the Alex McKinnon saga, unfortunately it dominates that whole period. Yeah. And, you know, just such a terrible thing to happen to, you know, Alex himself, but the town, the club and – I think it was really difficult for Wayne Bennett to pull that team through it. I think he might have been the right man for the job at the yeah. time. Yeah, it, it's it's very funny in the in the post um, the post brand, that, sorry the post Bennett um, you know we we blame Wayne um, fallout. It's very easy to forget that I, I don't think any other I don't think any other coach gets those players through that 2014 season yep. after what happened to Alex. Uh, I, I wrote a piece for an online website at the time, um, just, just sort of saying there was it, it, it was a, a it it really did go beyond uh, a, a game for Newcastle. What happened to Alex? It, it was it sort of transcended the sport and, and touched every sort of aspect of the of the town. And um, I remember that first home game after Alex's injury. 
the first 20 minutes that we were watching, that we were watching, it was just fear. You were worried that someone was going to get hurt again. And it's, and it's funny because we'd always watched the game, think aware that something could happen, but it was really the first time that we knew the extent to which something actually could happen out on the field. And, um, it was really hard to get past it. It was, it was really hard to watch the, to watch the game without any sort of sense of anxiety about it because, yeah, you realise that, um, you know, significant catastrophic injuries can arise if the game's not played properly. Mate, post the Wayne Bennett era, obviously Nathan Brown arrives in the building and once again another polarising character in Newcastle. You know, I look back and go, you know, like you did unearth a lot of the kids that are doing really well for you now. They might have been before their time then, but it's paying dividends now. How do you look back on Brownie's time at the Knights? I get very angry about the Nathan Brown era, um, personally. I sort of, um, I, 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 I thought it was really important that we all got behind Nathan Brown when he started. Um, I thought it was important, particularly given the fallout with, um, with Wayne Bennett and Nathan Tinkler. Um, I thought it was just really important that we were unified behind our coach. Now, our coach came to us and he told us that there was – just as pain because he guaranteed us some sort of reward at the end of it. And I was happy to buy that line on the basis that, well, if you're going to play, if you're going to play live by the sword, you're really going to die by the sword if it, if it doesn't pan out that way. It really was brought to my attention late on that in a lot of ways, I, I think Knights fans needed to be a little bit more, um, they needed to put a little bit more scrutiny under in, into what they were being told. In hindsight, we never should have been. We never should have accepted being told that our team was going to go out to lose, um, and we were we were actively told that in the first uh, couple of seasons. We, we sat through a one-win season, and we, we sort of wear it as a badge of honour, which which is fine. I, I think that's great that we still stand stood by the club no matter what, to the extent that we still went to games. Um, back on it now, and I re- I do regret the fact that I was happy to accept one loss we, we never should have accepted that um because that's you know a one with a one lot a one win season is really now something that it stays with the club forever we, we could win 10 premierships in a row and we'll always be the club that had one win in the in the nrl era so i, I look back on that now if 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 nathan brown had won a premiership last year maybe we'd be having a different conversation but the up and down of it is that he that he didn't. Now, a lot of people do like to talk about, well, he, he rebuilt the club and he, his recruitment was sensational. The, a couple of things that I sort of want to say about that is I, I think the idea that Nathan Brown rebuilt this club, I think does a little bit of disservice to a lot of other people behind the scenes who also worked just as hard to get the, the club in the position that it is. I, I think West the West group really do deserve – like personally, I think – um, the financial stability that they've given our club, as opposed to someone like Nathan Tinkler, is something that you, you, you cannot underestimate and must be appreciative of every day. But I think of people like Darren Mooney as well, who were really strong on recruitment and were, were responsible for the likes of your um, Mitch Pierce, Dave Clemmer, um, Kalen Ponga coming to the club. And so I think this idea that Nathan Brown rebuilt the club, you know, the club from the dire position that it was in, I think Nathan was very good at promoting that idea. I just get the feeling that it does a lot of disservice to a lot of other people who were involved in it as well. So I, I, I get very angry now when I think about the four years under Brown because we, we were promised certain things that by the end of it, 
there was always an excuse or an explanation as to why it didn't um, happen. And I think, well, that's fine, but we sat through a one-win season for you, and that, and you didn't deliver us what you promised us. So, um, yeah, that's it, it's it's a little bit bitter for me. I, I get a little bit bitter about it, mate. I guess the silver lining to your four years with Brownie is that it eventually does lead to Adam O'Brien, and is he the man to go forward for you? Oh, look, you know, I sort of. Uh, I was I was on board the I was on board the Brown train after twelve months and look where that got me. So I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about it, but I'll I'll tell you this much. I, I ran I had the pleasure of very briefly running into Adam O'Brien, Legends of League day last year, and I'd been on the drink all day and I was half cut. And um, he was polite and I actually interrupted a conversation, which I look back on it now, and he should have been just like security. Um, but I, I just said to him, I said, oh, look, Adam, I, I do apologize for interrupting. Actually, he was talking with Mick Crocker, and I thought Mick Crocker was going to belt me. But no, Mick was like, no, 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 mate, you're right. I was like, oh, that's a relief. And I just said to Adam, I said, mate, I, I want you to know we're all really happy to have you here, and uh, we're really excited about what you're going to do with our team. And I, I, this will stay with me forever because I'm some random bloke on the piss who he doesn't know. And he just very politely said to me, he said, oh, thank you for that, mate. I really appreciate it. And he says, I really hope that I can contribute something. And I loved that idea that he wasn't telling me that good times were coming and he wasn't being, he, he didn't get sort of, he didn't give me a stock standard answer. He, or maybe it was, but the stock standard answer that he gave, which is that, you know, I just, I want to bring something to this town. For me, that really resonated uh, to me. And um, and that was when I just I felt I felt really good about this season. I, I, I had a lot more confidence about this season. The other the other thing as well is that and I, I, I'm not sure if I know this story properly or if it's even correct, but we'll go with it. Apparently, there was one particular rep player uh, during the off season who he just barked orders at. He said, "Hey, what are you doing, Reston? Get out of the shade and get back out there working. You're supposed to be a rep player, aren't you?" And I, I loved that. I loved that idea that he was sort of saying to players, if you think that you've gone as far as you can, well, I've got news for you. You're going to go even further. And so I think he, he combines that really good um, balance of um, care for the players but push and drive to get the best out of the players. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 conf- I'm confident that uh, good times are coming again. Mate, he seems to have brought just a new mentality to the Newcastle Knights. I mean, you'll know better than me, but I remember a few weeks ago you guys had a game where you got rolled by someone you should have probably beaten. I, I think he pretty much said to them, like, you showed up here expecting to win sort of thing. Oh, well, there's there's been a couple of times that's happened this season. You can, you can point to the Cowboys up in Townsville, the Bulldogs at home, and then the Warriors out at Tamworth. And I think it was after the Bulldogs game where he really did say, there's a sense of entitlement amongst some of the players who haven't achieved anything yet. That's it. Um, but the other thing he said after the – and, again, after the Roosters game, I mean, you get blown away by the two-time reigning Premier. You sort of you, – you, you can't be too hard. But the, when he expressed disappointment after the Warriors and Roosters game, I really appreciate – what I appreciated about that disappointment was this idea that wasn't it it wasn't disappointment so that he could blame people or have a crack at people or say oh well, you know let's bring out the excuse book he was just like whatever the reason and whatever's happened i'm genuinely disappointed that we put that on because i firmly believe that we are better than that and it just really did um tread that line between again like i said care for the players but wanting to get the best out of the players as well and um I, you, you always get the sense with adam that um that those players would, um, you know, they'd run through hot coals or 
break down brick walls for him. And sometimes you just can't. Sometimes you can't ask that much more from from a coach. I, I think that's been one of the reasons that Wayne Bennett has been as successful as he is because he's got players who would go out there and, and genuinely um, kill for him. Mate, tell me about your fullback, Kalen Ponga. I mean, like we watched him at the start of last year. He was playing in the six jersey, and it just it just wasn't working for him. He's got all the ability in the world. And, I mean, when I look at the Newcastle Knights, you know, if for, from the post, you know, 2001 era, the signing of Ponga could be the best thing to ever happen to Newcastle. What are your thoughts on KP? I haven't been this excited about a player since Joey when it comes to, when it comes to Newcastle. Mate, he's and- so young, and he's just he's already got that aura, doesn't he? Look, this is okay. This is going to be a little bit of Newcastle bitterness that comes out. I like to think that I haven't been too, I haven't been too jaded tonight. Everyone likes to make out. Everyone's a revisionist historian, and everyone likes to make out now when they're talking about Joey. Oh, everyone loved Joey at the time, and oh, they they always talked him up. I can promise you, as a as a as a manic fanatic of Andrew Johns's career that is not the case Andrew Johns at every opportunity every weekend was being demanded you need to prove that you're the best he was never allowed to just be like oh you're the greatest and we're going to accept that and I I've always maintained because I'm a um, I'm a died in the wool Newcastle Knights fan that um, it's a, always a little bit harder for Newcastle Knights players to truly be great. Now, um, Kurt Gidley got a little bit of it um, in his time, but I think Kurt was always very uh, honest about where you know he was one of the hardest working, fittest um, uh, players on the field that, that got the best out of his talent. But I can guarantee you the st- the type of scrutiny um, and and sort of uh, media love slash demands to be better that he gets is so reminiscent of what Joey went through in those those late nineties. Um, to me, in a funny way, that's how I actually know that he's the real deal because because I just compare the 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 already ups and downs that he's had so quickly in his career. And I mean, even little things like oh, what's he achieved? Like you know, like people are saying that about Joey in, in the first two years. Joey had to go out and be man of the match in a World Cup final before you know some people were like, yeah, all right, I guess he's pretty good. And you almost get the sense that Kalen has to do the same thing in a lot of ways. Um, and so. I sort of tread the line between being annoyed that he's not universally loved uh, to also being glad that it's happening because I'm like, well, he must be pretty good because Joey went through the same thing and he turned out all right. So, um, um, I, I, you know, the last player that I can think of that wore a Knights jersey that was that everyone was interested in signing was Dane Gagai, and I, I can I can promise you <laughs> that I, I very much am a lot more excited about Kalen Ponga than I am Dane Dane. Uh, Dane, you know, the quality that he does provide notwithstanding. Um, the thing I love about Kalen is that he, he almost makes it uh, cool to be a Knights supporter again. Like that that's the sort of um, – that's the value that I, I place in having him in our team. And, you know, and I said to someone, I said, I just, I just love the fact that other people think he's awesome and he's ours and we should be excited about that. I, I'm excited about it. So, um, yeah, I just love the fact that he's locked himself in for the next few years and we, we can at least have two more seasons without worrying about speculation of him leaving before we, before we go down that path again. It's, uh, it's exciting. Mate, I think it's fantastic for a franchise to have 
the guy that kids are looking up to. Like, I look back to the early 2000s and 05 arrived and it was Benji Marshall. And, you know, no one would have ever gone out and brought a West Tigers jersey if you weren't a Tigers fan. But all of a sudden, kids were buying West Tigers jersey with a six yeah. on the back. It's the same as KP. Like, as silly as it sounds, he's the cool guy. And yeah. it's massive for any club. And he's a genuinely and he's a genuinely nice kid. And and look, this this actually isn't my observation. Uh, someone um, online whose opinion I, I really value quite highly. Um, um, actually, I might, I might give him a little bit of a, a call out. He's um, I think he's H-A-R-V-E-E-G-E-E um, on on Twitter. If anybody wants to follow, he, he made a really great observation. He said one of the things that you really can see in Adam O'Brien's coaching is that when he praises his players you almost get a sense that he sort of he picks on he picks on things that you wouldn't normally attribute to that player in terms of the praise that he wants to give and one of the things in particular that came to our attention after the Sharks game was Adam O'Brien made this big deal of pointing out what a how tough he is and you, you almost got the sense that that's sort of something that Kalen might feel is overlooked in terms of everyone thinks that he just does the you know the fancy stuff and the and the icing on the cake at the end. But you know this is a guy that got hip and shot hip and shouldered vertically um, horizontally and um, jumped back up and, and finished off the game. You know that's that's and that's not you know that's not bravado in this day and age. If he was concussed, he would have been taken from the field. But he sort of he took the hit and still managed to get back up again and. Um, I think um, I think one of the things about Kalen is that the, I do I actually do see a lot of Joey from those two aspects in that he does want to go out and do the fancy and cool stuff. He wants to do the 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 steps and the passing and the and the running, but he he's happy to do the dirty work as well. You know, if, if he if he has to if he has to bundle a player out over the sideline just as the sidelines just as the sirens going to to keep the the score as it is, you know, he wants to do it and. Um, and um, I just uh, – I, I really think that the next couple of years, if injury's not – you know, if he stays injury-free, he's really is a chance that Newcastle can embrace the new player that we really have been waiting for since Joey. Mate, you speak about the next few years. Who are the younger Newcastle Knights that you like to look of? Who do we have to keep an eye out for? Yeah, look, the, the, obviously this year, I think the, the four big ones that have really come out for the Knights that have played – um, first grade, uh, your Tex Hoy, Bradman Best, uh, Phoenix Crossland, and Stafford Toa. I think I think they're they're certainly uh, back backline players and and a hooker that you, you can build a franchise around. A couple of players that um, that though we sort of um, some of my mates in the in the chat groups get quite excited about are two youngsters that are coming through. I don't think we've really seen we certainly haven't seen much of one of them. Is a a Dom Young this um, this nineteen uh, year old beast of a player that we've signed from England and he was actually sort of attracted to the idea of French rugby and uh, Melbourne Storm actually were quite um, interested in sort of signing him but uh, he chose us over them so I think I think there's, there's this Dom Young that's, uh, that's you know and he's going straight into the top 30 uh, next year so we might see him on the field um, but my understanding is is that I don't and I, again I don't know much about him we, we Obviously, we couldn't see anything of him this year without juniors and um, reserves. But uh, keep your eye out for the na- sorry, keep your um, ear out for the name Simi Sasagi. I think uh, I think he's got a lot of potential there, and um, um, you know if he you know, keeps applying himself and uh, 
um, gets a run in first grade, you know, whether it's coming off the bench or, you know, starting off in the back line. Yeah, Simi Sasagi, I think I think uh, good things will um, come from him. Carlo, before I let you go, mate, where do the Newcastle Knights finish in 2020? Oh, I, I still I still think, we'll look, if we can figure out this travel bug, um, because now, unfortunately, there's every likelihood that we'll travel to Sydney to play uh, week one of the finals. I, I, I still see us winning a... a um, winning our first week um, game, you know, um, I think it'll either be the Rabbitohs or the Raiders, and we've beaten both of them this season. So, I, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to lock it in and say, you know, put the mortgage on them. But I think they are, they are games that we can go and go. Well, look, we've beaten these teams before. We've travelled to do it. Um, you know, hopefully we can sort of do it again. So, you know, if if we can go out with a noble uh, second second week exit, you know, we were. Um, First, that's not a bad first camp finals campaign in seven years. I think it, it's if it, if we build on it next year, that'll be a great outcome. Mate, I hope they do the very best for you this year. Fan is short for fanatic, and there's no doubt you're a Newcastle Knights fanatic. I can't wait for the day I see Joey pulling the curtain off that statue and you're standing there next to him. It's going to be sensational, mate. Mate, I think it'll be. So, it, I promise you, it's going to be something sensational for this uh, this town. It's um, yeah, I really love the way that they've embraced it. So I absolutely hope I can deliver on it for them. I'm not going to say I hope I see it, mate. I can't wait to see it. All the best. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nathan. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.